You're listening to episode eight of the Burnout to Boss podcast. Welcome to the Burnout to Boss podcast, where executive coach and yoga teacher Maria Loida teaches ambitious corporate women how to create massive success in their careers without sacrificing their families, personal lives, health, and most importantly, themselves. If you want to make more money, gain promotions and raises, build respect in the office, demand gravitas with senior clients and peers, and generate the biggest impact possible, all while enjoying the life you want and without overworking, it's time to rise from burnout to boss. The world is waiting for your leadership. Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, executive coach and yoga teacher, Maria Loida, and thank you for being here. Today we're talking about becoming a master delegator, and this is such an important topic. I think delegating is one of the most important skills to learn how to do really, really well in order to move from burning out to boss mode, to advance your career, to expand your business, to moving yourself towards more and more senior roles at work. Before we jump in, I want to tell you about a gift that I'm giving away in exchange for leaving a review and rating the podcast so that other people, other women like you can find this podcast. I'm giving away a pair of AirPod Pros and a gift basket of goodies that will support your well-being at your desk. So leave a review, screenshot it, and then send me a DM on Instagram. I'm at Maria Rose Loida. No periods, no underscores, all one word. You can get the spelling for my first and last name on the podcast. And then my middle name, Rose, is just like the flower. So it's at Maria Rose Loida. Let's dive into what we're talking about today, how to become a master delegator. And I want to just start by kind of laying the groundwork here. So delegating doesn't always come naturally. So if this is something you're working on or you feel like you're doing it sometimes, but it doesn't always go super well, not to fret. We're actually kind of taught how to do everything ourselves, you know, in school, by coaches and teachers and parents often. We're not often taught actually the skills, how to ask for help or support in an effective way that supports getting things done in kind of service of the entire team, right? And even if you think back to when you were a little bit younger, telling someone else to do something or asking for help might've meant that you're either lazy or bossy, both of which are very kind of like attached to a negative personality type. So just give yourself a little bit of um, compassion here if this is something you're working on and you're wanting to get better at because we're up against the fact that maybe we haven't really been taught how to do it. Most organizations actually that I've found at least in working with my clients and my own experience also don't teach people how to delegate well. So we're kind of like out on our own. At the same time, when you delegate, because we don't have like a rich kind of toolbox of tools or a full toolbox of tools, delegating can feel hard because it can often feel like being a babysitter, right? It kind of almost feels like you're a mom. You've got to, you know, give up like your time or give up things that you used to spend your time doing to make sure that it gets done somewhere else. So it just kind of feels like you're not doing the work, but you have to kind of babysit everybody else to make sure it gets done correctly. Delegating can, it often feels like being a therapist, okay? So like you give people things 
things to do, they come up against problems, they escalate their problems or the the kind of hiccups that they have to you. And now you're just in this position where everyone tells you their problems, what they're annoyed about, et cetera, et cetera. So instead of doing the and, and being close to closer to the work that you maybe used to do, you're now just dealing with everybody else's kind of conflicts or, you know, like blocks in the road for <laughs> when you give them like new projects, etc. And then lastly, it can often feel like you're doing two jobs instead of one, or it can feel like you're just doing everything. So not only do you have your list of things that you want to get done, now you're supposed to be delegating and handing things off and making sure that those things are kind of like up to par. So you're doing your job and you're just kind of like chasing everybody else around. It just feels like now you're in charge of two things instead of just focusing on your job. So we often don't do it because it feels uncomfortable or it feels kind of like, you know, I might as well just do it myself. I hear that a lot. Like, well, I tried to delegate. It got done poorly or didn't get done at all. So I just, it's quicker for me to do it myself. So today we're going to really kind of break down and talk about how you can do it in a way that lifts other people to their highest potential. And I want you to know that not only will you excel by delegating out of service to others, but others will rise alongside you. And I want you to kind of start thinking about delegating a little bit like an investment. So you you do give something up front, but you do that knowing that over the long term, that initial gift or that initial time spent or that initial kind of effort will come back to you twofold, threefold, fourfold, maybe more, okay? Because if you want to be promoted, get raises, continue to expand your role, continue to like get high, you know more and more senior roles, to take on more responsibility, if you want to continue to make big impact at work, it's imperative imperative that you stop, and I'm holding up uh, air quotes, it's imperative that you stop doing your job and you learn how to begin guiding instead. And this skill can be learned and, and executed at any level. So if you've just started a new job or you feel like you're junior compared to other people in your organization, these skills can be practiced and developed at any role and they will always come back to the value that you put into learning how to do this and practicing it will always come back to you. Oftentimes, double, triple, quadruple, etc. Okay, so I'm going to share with you today the five guidelines that I have for delegating. These are actual things that have worked for me and have also worked for my clients in getting more done in less time and delegating in a way that empowers other people and truly does take things off your plate in the long run. Okay, the first one might sound kind of obvious, but the first one is creating clarity. The more clear you are, the more you can measure. And so the more you can kind of be on the same page with your team about whether something's getting done or not, or whether something is meeting your expectation or not. So we want to make sure that you're not get like expecting people to kind of guess what you're trying to tell them. So as much clarity that you can create when you're, when you're at that moment of, okay, I want you to do this. I'm going to delegate this project. I'm going to delegate this piece of this project, this task. So here's my quick checklist for when you're delegating. Firstly, when you're delegating and how to create clarity specifically. Firstly, what exactly do you need someone to do? How can you be even more clear 
about what needs to be done. And we will talk a little bit more about about this piece in the next point in terms of getting on the same page with your people about what needs to be done and what kind of support they need when you go and kind of like present that to them. The next piece of creating clarity is when. So, you know, make sure you tell the, like whoever you're delegating to, when is it due? When do you want to, when do you want to review it so that you can submit it on time? Are you accounting for multiple kind of rounds of, you know, feedback between you and your team before you hand it off to the client, before you hand it off to your boss, before you present it to a wider audience? Okay, so just kind of going and expecting that it might take a few rounds to kind of get through feedback and that knowing that that kind of um, process will get shorter and shorter and shorter as time goes on, as you continue to kind of you get as you get clearer on what needs to be done and as you get more specific about when it needs to be done, this whole thing will like happen faster and faster each time you practice it and do it. The last piece, this is really important for creating clarity and I think that it's often where things things kind of fall through the cracks is why. And what I mean by that is how will you as the delegator measure success? What will you be looking for or considering a successful outcome, right? So if you were going to do the project yourself, what would you consider like a win? And how can you communicate that to your people so that they're on the same page about the priority of the project, of the task, of the whatever it is. When you align on how you'll measure success and you get really clear on that, a lot of the other things will kind of fall into place, right? The what might be a little bit different than what you expected, but if your people are thinking on the same terms of what's the best way that we can reach the success metric that we've identified, it won't matter if the what shifts a little bit, okay? So make sure that you're taking this last step and and helping your people see why they're doing it, what will measure this like metric of success. How will you determine whether this project is done or, you know, sufficient to present to, you know, maybe the next level or, you know, for it to go live, um, to be consumer facing, whatever it is. Okay. So that first piece, creating clarity, right? There's, there's pieces to that. So make sure you're hitting on all of them, the what, the when, and the why. Next up, the second guideline for delegating. This is a big one too. And I call it transitioning to teacher (laughs) and specifically transitioning to what I kind of call the third grade teacher. So the faster you learn how to teach others how to do your job well, the faster you'll advance. Okay, so this takes patience and it takes a little bit of remembering the last time that you were a beginner and remembering what it feels like to not know, remembering what it feels like to feel a little bit stupid and taking that into any conversation or any moment of teaching with your team. And you might even be teaching something to someone that's more senior than you, okay? But just remember, most people aren't coming to their jobs hoping to screw things up. Most people aren't coming to their jobs trying to not know or missteps, but we have a lot of shame around not knowing. So then people hold back from just being open about not knowing. And then it makes it hard for us as managers or delegators to understand why things aren't happening or where there's like a disconnect. Okay. So a lot of times when people like miss something, it's because they don't know. And, you know, you have to make a call on whether, you know, whoever this person is, depending on the the position, if, if it's really essential that they do know. Okay. And that might mean you transition them out of that role or something, you know, a bigger kind of 
move. But oftentimes there's like a bunch of little stuff that people kind of don't know based on past experience or they just need to be told or taught. And teaching someone how to do something is often much quicker than like firing them or transitioning roles and getting them up to speed on a whole nother role. And when you learn how to teach really, really well, you basically give yourself time back. So just keep in mind that sometimes it's embarrassing to not know. It's embarrassing to feel stupid. Remember, kind of take yourself back to a moment that you felt that way. And so that you can go into these moments with a little bit of compassion and you can take that mentality into teaching moments. That's why I talk about this as like a third grade teacher, because the qualities of a third grade teacher, if you think back to your own third grade teacher, hopefully you had a really nurturing person teaching you in like the second or third grade. And if you think about the qualities of that person, it's very likely that they were patient. They were willing to repeat themselves. They really considered the individual when teaching a new concept, especially if someone is struggling, right? So if you were really good at math, the teacher, your teacher might've, you know, given you the next phase of worksheet, but then, you know, maybe your best friend was better at reading and math was harder for them. That teacher probably didn't say like, oh my gosh, you're such an idiot. They probably sat down with them and get, you know, work through more problems with them. Try to find out where the disconnect was. Give them another way to think about math, right? This is what you can do with your man or with your team as well. More qualities of this like third, second and third grade teacher. They remember what it feels like to not know, right? Like there's no way I'm, I'm in, you know, again, there's always exceptions, but it's very unlikely that in the third grade there at the teacher called anyone stupid, right? <laughs> no one was stupid in the third grade. That concept kind of like evolves as a way to pick on each other as we get older, but it's like the teacher just knows if someone if someone isn't getting it, it's not because they are dumb or stupid or slow or whatever. It's because they don't know yet. It's because that that particular concept needs to be taught in a slightly different way. Okay. It's because the teacher understands that there's, you know, different kinds of brains in the room that process information a little bit differently. So how can you make room for that? among the people that you're delegating to as well. A third grade teacher also gives the student the benefit of the doubt. You know, the same idea that they stay in the belief that the the other, the student just doesn't know yet. They just might not understand it quite yet. They're willing to come back to the table and be patient with it, with a concept. So this kind of comes back, this kind of connects a little bit back to what I was saying about when you're delegating something and you're in the what phase of telling someone exactly what they need to do. Be mindful or aware of who you're delegating to. Can you tell them, hey, go do the quarterly report for the client or for, you know, the, you know, the monthly sales or something? Does that person know what you're talking about? Do they need to be taught how to do that task before you just hand it off? There's definitely always some room to challenge people, but you want to make sure that you're at least giving them like a round of teaching before you just dump them in. And it'll be different for every person and it'll be different for every role. And beware to kind of be sent, like to not assume that more senior people automatically know how to do certain types of things. We all come from different experiences and different um, jobs and different work cultures that all likely did things a little bit different. Number three, the third 
guideline for delegating is no isn't always no. And it's this idea of helping people prioritize. So I want to talk about this idea of what happens when you ask for something and then someone says no, (laughs) or that they have to do something else, right? I want you to not assume that that's like a hard 100% no. I don't want you to, I want you to start thinking about not taking that at complete face value because it's okay if people have trouble prioritizing. Pretty much all of us do. And I encourage you to dig a little deeper and find out what's in their way. So if you ask for something and someone says, well, I have this other thing on my plate or I can't, I don't have time, ask them what what's the blocker. And then together you can decide which which like task or project is more urgent. And this will depend. So if you're in the manager role and you're delegating to someone more junior than you, you have a pretty good idea of what's important, of what's most important. Or between the thing that you're asking someone else to do and the thing that's on their plate, you could probably pretty easily help them reprioritize their time and say, hey, actually this thing that I'm telling you right now to do is more important. So push this other thing until later in the week or until next week, let's make a new timeline for that thing and you do this thing now. If you're delegating peer to peer where neither one of you is the other one's boss, you might be able to figure it out between the two of you of figuring out which thing is the most urgent, especially if you work on the same team. If you don't, it's okay to go to someone more senior to help you determine the priority. And that is, you know, knowing when to bring in someone more senior, especially in a in a world where there's a lot to get done, there's a lot of moving parts. Use that is why you have managers. If if I'm talking to like someone who is doing some like peer-to-peer delegating, that's why you have that's why there's like senior people because everybody has a little bit of a different the more senior you get, what happens is the more visibility you have. And so the more you can kind of see ahead what is most important, that's like when you should tap into a manager or a boss or someone more senior to help you determine what's the priority so that everyone can get the list of things done when it makes sense to get them done. The next one up, number four, I think we're on of of the five guidelines, non-attachment. And what I mean by this is letting people do things the way they're going to do them. So there is this this piece of, right, it's it's gonna be a balance. Like there's this piece of creating clarity where we get we try to be as clear as we possibly can on what we want the person to do what like how we delegate something there's also this counterbalance of letting other people do their jobs and knowing like when you can kind of step back and not become the micromanager, right? That might be another reason why you're holding back from delegating is because you're like, well, if I delegate it and then I have to like stay on top of them, then I become a micromanager and then that's just not fun for me or them. So start practicing how you can create enough clarity so that you can kind of step back and let somebody work their own process. You might even have to let this person that you delegate to fail. We think that a perfect manager makes sure that like nothing ever goes wrong, but instead Instead of trying to protect everything and everyone, have their back instead. So give them the tools, create the like deep, deep clarity, and then be there when they screw it up, right? And know deeply that probably for you know yourself as well, you learn the most by failing or by kind of missing the mark, okay? And so I want you to start looking for ways that you can make room for that. And maybe you don't let someone fail like all the way down to, you know, like go weeks and weeks <laughs> down one path when you know that they're like going down the wrong path, right? You can still like guide and and shift as they go, but don't get so caught in trying to kind of manage every single little step. Instead, let people kind of have some time and then check in. And then if someone fails, teach them how to fail well, teach them how how to use what they already have to make something good out of it. Okay, last one, the fifth 
kind of guideline to delegating is resisting the urge to fix. I think this is another blocker to, to delegating is that we're, you know, we get really nervous or scared about other people being in stress or anxiety or doubt or frustration. And we think that by delegating something to maybe a teammate or a report is going to increase their stress. We assume that it's going to make them more stressed out and more anxious and frustrated. But I want you to consider that just because someone else is struggling with stress and anxiety, doubt, frustration about a task or even their whole entire role, it doesn't mean that they are off limits for asking them to help with something. And I want you to hear these things. When you try to protect or coddle someone, you deny them an opportunity to expand and learn a new way of working. When you kind of protect them and keep them in this box where they only do a certain number of tasks, you deny an opportunity for them to learn, to learn more and to learn okay, how can I do a little bit more? How can I like expand my capacity? There might be a temporary moment of stress or overworking, but then they can learn how to like do things. Like it it also creates a little bit of pressure to to learn how to do things more quickly. It might increase the um, opportunity for them to do their work with a little bit more focus. Think of all the times that you've grown and overcome something. You've likely experienced some difficulty, frustration, or resistance. And it's important that you don't deny people that opportunity because people do want to grow and expand. And these are some of the moments that you you create that opportunity for them. And if you take on all the work yourself instead, you only teach yourself and others that this is possible. The pattern will repeat itself. And there might be some moments that are like exceptions. You know, if someone is working through a personal loss or a really hard season that they've shared with you, their manager or the team, there's also this balance that like, Everyone is human and has a life outside of work, but you can kind of balance our work within that. So making space for people to be human, but also knowing that it's okay to push people a little bit. It's okay. If people are stressed, that's not always a direct reflection of you, you know, giving them the work that is on their plate to do or giving them an opportunity to learn and expand and grow. Delegating well is a non-negotiable skill to learn if you want to step into and continue ascending into more and more senior roles. So I want to just go back and just do a quick review of how you can stop doing your job and and begin guiding instead. So there are these five guidelines. Create clarity within that. Make sure you're telling your team what, when, and why. So what exactly do they need? What exactly do you need them to do? How can you be more and more clear about that? When is it due? Are you taking into account all the like little steps in between? And then making sure you align with with your people on how you'll measure success. What will you, as the kind of the owner of the project, as the delegator consider a successful outcome. Number two, transition to teacher, specifically a third grade teacher, right? Come to this with patience. Remember that if if someone's struggling, it's likely that they just don't know. The faster you learn how to teach others well, the faster you will excel and advance in your career. No isn't always no. Help people prioritize. If it seems like on the outside or the surface that someone can't do something because they're too slammed, it's okay to dig a little bit deeper and make sure that the team is prioritizing as a whole. And it might mean shifting things around. Number four, non-attachment. Finding the balance between creating the like really clear task and the initial ask and then the counter of that in letting people do things the way they're going to do them. Trying not to over manage the specifics of the process of someone's process, right? Giving them autonomy. This is a key in delegating in a way that 
taps into people's highest potential. And then the last one, resist the urge to fix, knowing that when people get stressed out and have anxiety and frustration, you can coach them, but it doesn't always mean you have to take back the work or stop asking them for help or stop delegating to that specific person on your team. With some exceptions that sometimes people are going through something really personal and difficult um, that impacts their ability to show up the way that they usually do at work. When you use these five guidelines, you will increase your capacity to delegate well and delegate in a way where people want to work with you. They want to take on more and more because you're teaching them, you're giving them the tools that they need to be successful. You're not holding back from kind of loosening the reins or even giving them up completely, like letting someone else drive. People love to have, again, there's a human drive, <laughs> like there's a there's a piece of the human psyche that that's there for all of us that loves to expand and grow and learn. And when you tap into that, people um, are so much more likely to be motivated and excited to be on your team and be a part of this bigger process where it becomes easy to delegate. So Go to my website at www.marialoida.com and sign up for my waitlist to learn how to delegate sustainably and from service, just like we talked about today, so that others get to rise alongside you. Sign up there on the waitlist to be the first to know about the next offer that becomes available so that you can continue on this journey of becoming a master delegator. Before I go, I want to remind you one more time about the gift that I'm giving away. If you rate and review the podcast or when you rate and review the podcast, take a screenshot of the review, send me a DM on Instagram. I'm at Maria Rose Loida and I will enter you to win a pair of AirPod Pros and a gift basket of well-being goodies um, that'll support you at your desk and in your career. Thank you so much for listening today and I will see you in episode nine.